Well, it's great to be back together uh, uh, here at Hope Central uh, at the end of uh, a great summer. Um, had some good weather. We had a great time at West Point last weekend. Uh, for those of you who weren't there, it was a great time, about 200 of us uh, are, are down at Exeter. Next year, we're going to be at Shepton Mallet. I really encourage you to think about being there with us. Um, it's a great time. So this morning, we're kicking off our new series, um, Hope for a Culture in Crisis, and we're going to be looking at Paul's letter to the Romans, and we're going to read the first few verses in a moment. But I don't know if you've uh, ever uh, had... Uh, a letter from uh, someone significant, someone important, uh, that meant a lot to you. So I, I, uh, I had one letter from my father. My father sent me one letter over all my years. It's the one thing I, I have uh, uh, written in his hand. His hand he's written it by hand. And uh, he was writing me. It's a long letter. It's the longest. Uh, it's the only letter he, he wrote me, but it was a really long letter, five or six pages, pleading with me uh, not to uh, move down down here and give my, uh, come and, uh, and effectively give myself to the church. And um, so you can see I didn't listen to it, I'm here. Um, but it was a, plea, a heart plea, he didn't want to see me wasting my life, throwing my life away. Um, and letters are really important. That one uh, I, I've kept because it's memories of my dad, but uh, I didn't listen to it. But this letter we're going to read today is a really important letter that Paul wrote to the church in Romans. So we're going to read some verses from Romans chapter 1. Uh, I'm going to read it. The words will come behind me on the screen. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. This is what it says. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was a descendant of David according to the flesh, and was appointed to be the powerful son of God according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Well, that was a long sentence. Through him, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the Gentiles, including you, who are also called by Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, loved by God, called as saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In the next few months, we're going to be unpacking the first seven chapters of uh, Paul's letter to the Romans. Its impact over the centuries has been huge, and particularly uh, on influential Christian thinkers, uh, such as Augustine, Luther, and Wesley, whose lives were transformed by reading this letter. The 20th century uh, theologian F.F. Bruce said this, there is no saying what may happen when people begin to study the letter to the Romans. <clears throat> Be expectant this morning. Be expectant over these months. God is going to speak to you. He's going to speak to us as a church. This is Paul's longest letter, and it's as culturally relevant today as it ever was. First century Rome was a city of up to uh, a million people. The Roman Empire at the time seemed at its zenith, at its height. 
but the seeds of its ultimate demise were already sown. And so Paul wrote to a church in a city that was self-obsessed. It was full of antisocial behavior, failing law and order, uncontrollable violence, and loose morals. Anyone who thinks that the challenges that we face in today's culture are more advanced or are different from first century Rome are sorely mistaken. Paul presents the only hope for a culture in crisis, Jesus Christ. He is the only hope. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Paul wrote in advance of visiting the church for the first time. He'd never been there. He wrote a letter to a church he'd never been to. His primary purpose was to strengthen them and to help them reach the city with the good news about Jesus Christ. He plans to travel to Spain because he wants to preach the gospel in regions that haven't yet heard about Jesus. And he wants the church to partner with him in that mission. And so this explains why the letter opens with Paul establishing his credentials about being an apostle. Grace and apostleship. Paul is, Paul is setting out his, this is who I, I am called, I am an apostle, I am a sent one, one sent by God to tell people about Jesus Christ. Particularly those who are from a non-Jewish background, that's what Gentile means. Yet there was another purpose for writing. Paul had another reason for writing this letter. You see, the problem is with letters is we only ever hear one side of, uh, of what's being uh, talked about. We hear one side of the conversation, so we have to piece together what Paul is talking about and what conversation is happening in the church itself. Someone has said Romans is a little bit like a lecture to someone who's heckling them. And so some of the language in Romans is, is really, uh, it's really quite firm. Paul says things like, you have no excuse. On another occasion, he says, you call yourself a Jew? And so he's, his language is, is sort of like, it's quite lecture-like on occasions. And if we're going to get to the heart of what Paul's letter to the Romans is all about, we need to understand a little bit about the context. And so I'm going to spend a little time this morning explaining the context before I draw out three key things for us to grasp this morning. So the Roman church started on the day after the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, we're told in Acts chapter 2 that visitors were from Rome were in Jerusalem. They're in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Sorry, celebrate the day of Pentecost. So they're there. They're there to celebrate. The people have gathered from all around. Jews from all around the known world have come to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. And among them, we're told, there were, some, uh, there, were, uh, there were Jews from Rome and some Jewish converts, people who converted to Judaism. They were Gentiles, non-Jews who converted to Judaism. And on the day of Pentecost, 
Peter preaches to a massive crowd, including some of these people. A number of people uh, become followers of Jesus. They believe in Jesus. They're baptized in water, as we're going to see Robin baptized this afternoon. And then they're filled with the Spirit, and then they go back to their towns and cities. That would have been the start of the church in Rome. When those people went back, the church in Rome began. It grew rapidly. The church in Rome would have grown rapidly. The church in the early, the first century grew rapidly. Numbers of people were being added and joined to them. We read about that in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts. But people were being joined to them. And numbers over time, we're told, numbers of Gentiles, non-Jews, became followers of Jesus as the gospel went beyond its original Jewish audience. And the same would have been true in Rome. But the church in Rome initially had a very Jewish feel to it, because most of them were from a Jewish background. About 15 years later, after the day of Pentecost, probably around about 49 AD, Claudius, the emperor, expelled the Jews from Rome, about 40,000 of them. Sent them packing, said, I don't want you in Rome anymore. Why? Well, there were, seems, it seems to be there were disturbances in, in the Jewish community. And as we read uh, some of the writers, what we understand is that it seems likely that Jews were uh, ticked off, were cross with this uh, Christianity, this faith that was starting. A number of Jews were converting to faith in Jesus and were moving away from the synagogues and were starting to gather with believers. And, and the Jews, there, there were disturbances as a re- result. The Jewish community, where there were disturbances as Jews were kicking off against the early church. Now, the, the emperor, didn't, he didn't understand. They, they, there was no distinction uh, uh, for the, uh, the authorities of the day. They didn't really get the distinction between, they just thought Christianity was a Jewish sect, effectively. And so Claudius basically expels 40,000 Jews from Rome, and that would have included early Jewish Christians. And so suddenly the church in Rome now, there are no Jewish background Christians there. They've left. They've been expelled. And so we read about Priscilla and Aquila meeting Paul in Corinth as a result of what's happened. They've been expelled and they they go to Corinth and that's where they meet Paul for the first time. So the church now has a very, starts to have a very Gentile feeling. It starts to grow. A few years later, probably about five years later, we think it was Nero who basically allowed Jews to return to Rome. And as they did, Jewish Christians would have come back. They would have gone back. Many of them would have gone back to what they felt was their home church. And when they got there, it was a bit different. It wasn't the same as when they left. It was now being run, being led by people from a Gentile background. It had a very different feel. And so Paul writes about three years later, 57 AD, and he's writing to bring reconciliation to two groups because there's tension. And so Paul writes, and he, he writes, he's writing to remind them of their common roots. None of them have done uh, anything to warrant God's mercy. Not one of them, neither Jew nor Gentile, none of them have done anything to warrant God's mercy. They all need grace from God. 
They've no right to judge each other. They are one church. How's that relevant to us today? Well, we are now a multi-site church. We weren't a multi-site church a year ago. Now we are a multi-site church. I don't know if you remember. Some of you who are around will remember me saying before it happened, this, in a year's time, the church will be radically different. And I said, in particular, it's gonna, I said it's going to affect all of you. If you think here at Hope, what will be Hope Central, it won't make a difference. I want to tell you it's going to change everything. And it has. It's impacted us all. Some of you may not have believed me. It won't affect me. Over the recent years, we've said church is going to increasingly get more messy. It's going to be mixed people, people coming in from different backgrounds. That has been happening all around us. The church has changed rapidly. People are coming and joining us. They're coming from different ethnicities, mixed backgrounds. Some are coming via Christians, uh, links with Christians against poverty. Some are connecting via our soup service through uh, ARC, our mothers and toddlers group, the the cradle, which is our mums and young babies group, the youth, that people are coming from all sorts of backgrounds, from all sorts of connections, and it's different. I love it. I love it. I absolutely love it. Someone said to me not long ago, uh, in the last few months, they said, Hope Church no longer represents the stereotype of white middle-class Winchester. Hallelujah. There are increasing numbers of people who feel part of our community but have little church background. It's what we've prayed for. It's what we've longed for over the years. And yet it causes tensions, tensions like this, coming to terms with change. We don't know everyone anymore. I've heard that a few times. We don't know everyone anymore. I don't know who's singing in the band. It's okay. Talk to them. Say hi. Introduce yourself. Challenges. We can, uh, we can, it's important that we don't allow minor things to become major things. Now, we sang a song this morning that I didn't know and I'd not sung before. That can make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. But do you know what? Let me give you a little bit of, little bit of help. I heard someone say this not so long ago. There is something in every song that should, is, it will enable us to, to worship God. There was the song we were singing, well, I didn't know, there were some beautiful lines in it about what God's done for us that stirred me to worship. We're not going to know. It's not about us being comfortable, okay? Don't allow minors to become majors. One of the tensions is embracing people who are different from us. Let me, tell, let me say something, which I'm saying to myself as well. It's not about us. <laughs> It's about him. It's about his mission. It's about not judging people. Don't judge a book by its cover. Sometimes we so quickly judge people uh, because of what they're wearing or, or, or whatever. 
Let's not be people like that. Let's be people who embrace others. Let's get to know one another. Let's make space for others. Let's go out of our, let's not wait for others to come to us to make us feel welcome or make us feel good. Or to, let's, let's be thinking about how we can embrace and draw other people and how I can help other people. And as we do that, we build community and we help one another. It's one anothering. One of the tensions is we can, and it would have been a tension for the church in Rome, that they could be a little legalistic. We don't do it like that. That's not how we do it. It's a little thread of legalism. We, didn't, we don't do it like We used to do it like this. We, do, we want to do it like we always do it. It's not the gospel. Equally, we don't want to be those who are liberal, going the other way. Well, anything goes. And that's one of the challenges. Actually, if you're coming in and you're new amongst us, what you'll find out is that the gospel is, it isn't just anything goes. You can do whatever you like because God loves you. No, it's not like that. The gospel is, isn't, that isn't the gospel. This is, amongst us is the work of God. At West Point, we had 200 people gathering from all sorts of backgrounds and there wasn't one moan. Brilliant. It was great to be together. The people of we are one church. And so Paul wanted unity in the church because he wanted unity to help reach more people. Paul's focus is the gospel. These verses, the, the, the book of Romans is all about the gospel. The gospel is the good news about Jesus Christ. Romans is about the gospel, the good news from start to finish. Paul is writing in Nero's backyard. He's writing in Rome. And the word he uses for gospel, the Greek word he uses is the same word an emperor used to declare good news of a victory on the battlefield. It was a challenge. The Christian message was a challenge to the culture of the day. Paul was proclaiming, the gospel proclaims there is a new king in town, Jesus Christ. He has come and he was saying to the Roman Empire, it's not Nero. We have a gospel to proclaim to this city and the regions around. There is a new king, Jesus Christ. And if you put your trust in him, everything changes. The gospel is a dangerous business. It's the gospel of God. It's for one and all we read in this letter, for all in Rome. Not just one or two, for all in Rome. It's for all people in Winchester, whatever their background, whatever their ethnicity, wherever they're from, the gospel's for all. The good news of Jesus is for all. John Stott says this, Romans is a manifesto of freedom through Jesus Christ. It is the fullest, plainest, and grandest statement of the gospel in the New Testament. And that's what we're going to be digging into in these next months. And so as we start, I want to underline really quickly three things about this gospel. First of all, it's a gospel that's based on the promise of the Father. Promise of the Father. When my, uh, my boy Joe was uh, gay, well, he was thinking of getting married. He told me that they were, plant, they were probably going to marry Lauren. And I said to him, Joe, I, uh, I knew it was going to be quite tough in terms of funding a wedding. I said, I, 
I'll help you. I made a promise. I didn't have any money to help him at all at the time. So I just, so I went to my father in heaven and I got on my knees and I said, God, please help me because I haven't got anything to give him, but I want to help him. Would you help me help him? In the meantime, Joe, because he loves God, he's trusting God and he's giving, he's being generous with his, his resources. And that's why we encourage people to give in the church. We encourage people to give because it's not yours anyway. God gave it to you. And when you give and are generous, actually you're demonstrating that you're trusting him to provide for you. And so Joe is giving and, and uh, his uh, soon-to-be fiancé was aware. She said, Joe, have you got any money? He said, I haven't got any money, but God will provide. He's thinking his dad has said he'll help him, but he knows he's got a father in heaven himself who will help him. And so we go through this process, and then someone, uh, you will, some of you will know the story, someone comes to me and says, Steve, I think I can, uh, you might be entitled to, uh, to something, uh, some tax back. And, and so it happened, I, I sent off a letter within literally weeks, uh, I think it was five weeks, I had a check from the Inland Revenue. Joe, I'm thinking, whoa, I've got this probably for a year, I don't know. And then about a week later, Joe comes and says, Dad, we're going to get engaged. And I'm thinking they're going to get married the next year. He says, we're going to get married in August. Like, I'm like, oh, well, you may as well have the money now. So I'm like, <laughs> the promise of a father means something. This gospel, this good news was promised long ago, right in the early pages of Genesis. The gospel was promised It's now been revealed. Previously it had been hidden. It was a mystery long hidden, Paul says to the Colossians. Foreseen only by the prophets, he tells us at the beginning of his letter to the Romans. God planned this gospel from the found before the foundation of the world. This gospel involves family business. God the Father and Jesus the Son. This is this promise of good news is coming from a loving father. It says in Romans 1.7, to all loved by God. All loved by God. God is more loving than you can ever imagine. If you have, a, if you have in your mind's eye, God as a father is a tough father, he's hard and he's harsh, you've not understood the gospel. The gospel is a, of a loving father who loves you more than you will ever know or imagine. And it's good news for a world that's in a mess. And how much of a mess we're going to see in coming weeks? Rome was in an absolute state. And at the opening of his letter, Paul wants us to keep in mind that it's always been his intention to pour out his love. Just think about it. Just listen to this. To all who are in Rome, loved by God. To all in Rome, you're loved by God. To all in Hope Church, you are loved by God. The God who created the heavens and the earth loves you. Thank you, Lord. You are called as saints. What does that mean? Saints means holy ones. Your lives were a mess. Jesus Christ, because he died in your place, everything has changed. 
You now stand before God acceptable. You have right standing before God. All your filthy rags, all your self-efforts have been taken away at the cross if you put your trust in Jesus. And instead, what's been imparted, what's been given to you is the righteousness, the right standing of Jesus before God. You now stand before God as not as slaves but as sons and daughters. You stand before God righteous. He looks on you and A holy God accepts you. Wow. Wow. Grace to you. You need the grace of God because it's not about your efforts, about what you're going to do. It's about his grace, what he's done for you. Jesus has done it all. You just receive grace as a gift. This is not about your cleverness, about what you do. You just respond to the gospel and give your life to Jesus. And when you do, it says this, you will know peace from God. Peace from God. Peace with God. Peace from God. Your relationship with God is restored and suddenly you know peace. Peace from God. Whatever the circumstances, whatever the situation, however tough life is for you, you can know peace from God. What good news. This is the promise of the Father. The promise of the Father. And what's our response? The only response to this gospel in Romans chapter 12, Paul will tell us later. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy to you, in view of God's mercy to you, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Your lives given to God. That's the gospel. The promise of the Father. But it's also about the person of the Son. You see, Romans is all about a person. Jesus Christ, our Lord, we're told. Which he promised, the gospel, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son, The Father's Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus Christ, our Lord. The word he uses for Lord, the Greek word kurios, was the word, the title that was also used by the emperor. And so Paul, what Paul is declaring is there is a new Lord. There is one who you bow the knee to. And it isn't any longer Nero, it's Jesus Christ. Jesus the Lord, Jesus Christ. It's a direct challenge to the culture of the day. The gospel is a challenge to this culture, to our culture. We don't bow the knee to this culture. We bow the knee to Lord Jesus and what he says. Jesus is inaugurating a new kingdom. And so when Paul is on the Damascus road, Paul encounters Jesus for himself. He's a rebel. He's murdering followers of Jesus. He's taking people and these who, who, have, who have become Christians and he's taking them and he's persecuting them, taking them to Jerusalem and they're being, some of them are dying as a result of their newfound faith. And Paul is on the way to Damascus and he's, he's go, as he's going to Damascus, suddenly Jesus appears to him as he's walking and he's blinded by this light. And Paul says, who are you? He says, who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? The word he uses is curious. He uses a word that is, 
He recognizes he's in the presence of everything has changed for Paul. Jesus was just a rabbi, a rabble rouser. Suddenly he encounters Jesus. This is Jesus. He bows the knee. He's on his knees. Who are you? Jesus says, I am Jesus who you're persecuting. Jesus is Lord. Everything changes for Paul. You see, the name Jesus reminds us of his humanity. He was a man just like us, we're told. He was a descendant of David, according to the flesh. He was a man just like us. So he understands what it is to live in this world. He knows what it is to face opposition and difficulties. He knows what it is when people won't receive what we hear. He knows how tough it is on a Monday morning when you go to work and you've had a great Sunday and you go to Monday and everything's different and it's tough and it's hard. He knows what it is when people uh, uh, won't receive our message, won't, are antagonistic about church, about this good news this thing that's changed our lives, this person who's changed our lives, they don't feel the same. Jesus understands. And we're told that Jesus Christ, who was a descendant of David, you see, David, the, the great promise that King David in the Old Testament had was that one day there would be a godly king who would be on his throne, who would reign forever and ever and ever. And it was a it was a prophetic word that one day there will be one who would reign forever. That is Jesus Christ. He will reign forever and ever. And so all the promises that God makes are yes to us in Jesus, we're told in the letter to the Corinthians. So God promises that he'll be with us and he'll never leave us. He keeps his word. He keeps his word. Remember, it is, it's about Jesus Christ. We are one church. One church, and he promises to be with us. You see, it's not about us, it's about him. God wants to stir our faith for ourselves and the church. See, Jesus, the name Jesus, the Lord Jesus, Jesus, it says about when he was given his name, it says he will be called Jesus for he will save his people from their sins, from their wrongdoing, the things that uh, uh, get in the way between us and God. Save his people from their sins. Jesus is a rescuer. We're singing about it this morning. You may not know the song, but he is a rescuer. What a marvelous truth that is. Rescuer. Forevermore rescues us forever more. When it uses, it says the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is no surname. It's not just a surname. It means Messiah. It means anointed one. Jesus is the one who has authority. He has been given authority by God to change lives, transform lives. He's been given authority to destroy all that the devil is doing in this world, ruining our world been given authority and he's given, Jesus has given that authority we read in Matthew 28. He's given it to us, his church. He says, I give you all, all authority has been given me and I give it to you. Now go and make disciples. We have his authority. We have his authority. The person of the Son. And finally, the power of the Spirit. When I was appointed, I'd been, uh, worked in planning for many years, worked in a council in part of Hampshire, 
And uh, I, I was dealing with uh, planning stuff. I was uh, quite senior in the department. I would meet with developers. And developers, I, I would basically say to them, no, you can't do that or you can do that. And when I said you can't do that, they would often go, who are you? Who's the boss? Who's in charge? Really frustrating. Then one day, I was, I was still quite young, in my th early 30s, I was made head of development control. Something happened. When I was appointed, when I was made head of development control, they, there was a power that came with it. And in those moments, they would say, they'd quite smugly say across the way, who are you? Who's the boss? And I'd go, I am. <laughs> Everything changed. Oh, what can we do? Rather, they didn't kick against it. Oh, what do, what, what do you want us to do? How can we get planning permission? The world changed. Jesus was declared, appointed to be the Son of God with power through the resurrection from the dead. Jesus was always the Son of God. His resurrection declared the truth of that. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead was and always will be the turning point. Through the resurrection, Jesus becomes the Son of God in power. He was always the Son of God. But through the resurrection of that, He is, becomes the Son of God by, with power, in power. And when Paul talks about the resurrection from the dead, the sense is plural. The point is, it's not just Jesus' resurrection, it's ours as well. Because Jesus has risen from the dead, we will rise from the dead. And the same gift of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is full of the Spirit, we're told, we are to be filled with the Spirit. God wants us to be filled with His Spirit. He wants us to know this incomparably great power for us who believe. We need to know this power that can change us. We need to know this power in us and us as a church. It can change, it's power that can change a city and a nation. Do you believe it? It's the gospel. If there is to be any hope for our world, it will come through a people filled with power. You see, God, when God's at work, change is challenging. For some of you, you found it really challenging. But we are one church. His church, this is God's gospel. It's all about the gospel. It's all about being one church so that we can reach more people with this good news about Jesus Christ. Because he is king on the throne. And this will transform their lives if they hear it. This good news we have is all about the promise of the Father. It's all about the person of the Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And it's about the power of the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit to do all that He has called us to do. That is the message of Romans. That's what we're going to be hearing about in coming weeks. God wants us to be a people, one church, knit together, resolving our tensions, working together for the gospel. Tim Keller says this, the gospel's power is seen in its ability to completely change minds. To completely change hearts. To completely change life orientation. To completely change our understanding of everything.
that is the gospel. Let's stand together. Can I ask the band to come out? Jonathan's going to lead us in a response in a moment. But we're going to worship God together. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descended from David. This is our